and you know he settled upon the Seekonk River, um, met the Wampanoag tribe, and was very friendly with them, and sort of um, you know really wrote a lot about his thoughts on how to not just like deal with the Indians, but to actually work with them and understand the the native ways and how to really make the best of the land. So then all of that writing you know survived through the the colony era, and a lot of the founding fathers used a lot of his beliefs um, for a lot of the framework for the writings. That's so inspiring. We're talking tonight about Providence, Rhode Island, with Greg DeRochers. Greg, wasn't Rhode Island the first of the 13 colonies to renounce its allegiance to the British crown and also the last to ratify the new United States Constitution? Yes. And uh, not only was Rhode Island the first colony to renounce its allegiance to the crown, but a year before the Boston Tea Party, which kind of gets all the credit, the Gatsby Affair took place off the coast of Rhode Island, um, is a little near Warwick, uh, where the HMS Gatsby ran aground on June 9th of 1772. And once it kind of made landfall, a group of men attacked the ship and torched it. And that marked the first act of violence against the crown in America. And then in addition to that, you know, Rhode Island's kind of been its marching to its own drum a few times and catching the name of Rogue Island because it, it likes to do things its own way. So mm-hmm. we were also one of two states to never ratify prohibition. So that was, um, you know, a, a heyday for some, some of the black market, and it kept law enforcement busy too with shipments coming from Canada and the Bahamas uh, through the ports all throughout that time. Hmm. Speaking of colonial times, Greg, didn't Brown University move to Providence before the Revolutionary War even started? It did. Uh, it was founded actually in Warren, Rhode Island, so in the eastern bay of the state uh, in 1754. Uh, sorry, in 17 – yes, 1754. Uh, and, and then in 1777, it moved to Providence. And then uh, later became Brown University after – being founded as Rhode Island College uh, after the Brown family made a $5,000 donation, which apparently was enough to, to give you naming rights back then. Mm. Well, Providence has made its mark as the home of higher education, with a lot more colleges per capita than its population would suggest. We know about Brown, as you mentioned, which is an Ivy League school, but tell us about Johnson and Wales, which is a culinary school that rivals the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America. So Johnson and Wales was um, actually founded by two women, uh, Gertrude Johnson and Mary Wells, in 1914 mm-hmm. at the business school. Um, and it, it slowly grew because it opened with one student and one typewriter. But it, over the years it grew, uh, welcomed a lot of GIs back from World War One. Uh, to sort of get into the business side of things back home. Um, And then in 1972, the hospitality program was first introduced uh, to actually a lot of skepticism. But enrollment quickly grew from 140 students in 1973 to over 3,000 just 10 years later. And today it's producing world-renowned chefs of all types. And um, some notable alumni also include Emeril Lagasse and Tyler Florence and tons of other people that make appearances on Food Network and, you know, throughout the, the reality TV shows these days. Oh, yeah. And speaking of learning, tell us why your old jewelry district is now known as the Knowledge District. 
So that's, you know, depending who you ask, it, it's still the jewelry district to many, because um, <laughs> that's actually where jewelry was first manufactured here in America, uh, starting in 1794, which that was honestly one of the most surprising things to me when I started the job down here, uh, learning that, you know, it, it had a, a strong foothold here uh, at once being a quarter of the nation's jewelry manufacturing power came out of Providence. Um, <sighs> but in 2013, Route 195 was sort of pushed over to the south of where it used to be uh, to, to kind of not bisect that neighborhood anymore. So it led to a lot of free ready-to-use and ready-to-develop ready land, which has sort of created these new facilities that are more geared towards hosting the science, technology, and education sectors. So there's a lot of um, nursing schools there from Brown uh, and Johnson & Wales, and lots of co-working space, lots of um, more life sciences things. So it, it's really growing to, to kind of be, be a place for that sort of thing to, to really percolate and, um, you know, becoming a place of more shared ideas and lots of less of the manufacturing history while it's still sort of there and plenty of buildings still survive. Hmm. Sounds very forward-thinking. We're talking tonight with Providence, Rhode Island, with Greg DeRochers. Providence is a great city of neighborhoods, Greg, with more than two dozen official ones. Can you tell our listeners about that a little bit? Sure. So, as you mentioned, there are lots of little neighborhoods, and Rhode Island, for its size, um, is very big on keeping things little. Um, throughout the state, it's very much village-focused rather than cities and towns. Um, it'll be so plenty of towns will be divided into little subsections. But in Providence, our, our big major ones that, that are really easy to digest for visitors are the downtown, the east side, Federal Hill, and sort of the west side, and then the jewelry district or the innovation district. And um, what we've done as the CVB is actually created these new uh, walking tours, which guides you through a neighborhood, but also highlights a lot of the history as you're going. So it's all at your own pace, but you get to explore as much or as little uh, of the history, or if you just want to eat your way through town, totally fine, too. Although much of Rhode Island is flat, Greg, Providence is not. In fact, it claims to be one of several cities built on seven hills, like biblical Jerusalem. College Hill, for example, is east of the Providence River, and Federal Hill features the largest Italian district outside Massachusetts. And isn't your state house on Smith Hill? Yes, our state house uh, sits atop uh, Smith Hill. Uh, great views from up there. And then Federal Hill is a, you know, a jewel of the city. Um, plenty and plenty of authentic Italian food. Uh, so the last few summers and Going forward this summer as well, they do a alfresco dining every weekend, so they actually shut down the main street. Uh, you feel like you're in a small little town back in the old country. And there's also more options up there, too, these days. So it's not just Italian food. There's lots of um, New World cuisine and lots of fusion cuisine. So, you know, you can go up there, you can get your espresso, you can get a cannoli, but you can also try some sushi or, or get um, some Mexican food. So it's a real melting pot, but still an incredible place to visit. 
Greg, with all those hills built into your topography, how are you able to change the urban landscape, realigning railroad tracks, moving rivers, and even building the Providence Place Mall? You know, the rail used to really dominate the city because of the industrial nature of how things kind of progressed through the industrial era. Um, but then in the 80s, when rail traffic really dropped off, the, the city saw an opportunity to really reimagine the little section there of the rail yards and the original Union Station, um, which is the main train hub. So, you know, they sort of reversed course because to put all that rail there, they filled in all this great waterway. So they sort of just redug it up, um, and then a lot of vitalization came from that. So they moved the train station to a little bit of a smaller footprint, a little ways north, and then the mall came in in 99. Um, our convention center opened up in 93, and lots of um, hotels then followed suit. So it really became uh, surprisingly, you know, going back to how it used to be with waterways kind of cutting through the city actually connected the, the Capitol Hill area and the downtown much more than filling it all in. Now, you mentioned the Providence Place Mall, and I understand it's linked by waterway to the Rhode Island Convention Center, so you must be attracting a lot of meetings. Tell us about the Convention Center and also the Providence Performing Arts Center. Sure. So as I mentioned, the Rhode Island Convention Center opened uh, in 1993. Uh, it's over 100,000 square feet of exhibition space, and it's connected by a pedestrian walkway to the mall, as well as to the Omni, uh, the Omni Providence Hotel, and then the Dunkin' Donuts Center, which is our uh, arena next door. And mm. businesses, business conventions and meetings, uh, it's a big part of the city's tourism economy, much more so than leisure. Uh, in a typical year, we're generating about $80 million in spending, from meetings coming in um, typically weekly, sometimes twice a week, as well as sporting events too. And then the Providence Performing Arts Center is a little little bit on the other side of the downtown area. And that opened in 1928 as a movie palace. And then uh, it kind of had a roller coaster of a ride in um, use and popularity and maintenance. <laughs> um, and then in the 70s, it was big for uh, rock concerts. Lots of concerts throughout the 70s there. And then today, it attracts a lot of Broadway shows. Many national tours after the leave Broadway kick off their, their touring in Providence at the PPAC. And um, it's, it's just a great venue to, to catch any. You still have concerts. They still have comedy uh, comedians. But it's a great place to, to catch any sort, of, any sort of show that you can. Hmm. So, to, just to recap, isn't Providence Place Mall a part of Capital Center, also the home of the Omni Providence Hotel and Water Place Park? And that's the area that's actually reclaimed land from a former network of tracks? Yes. So, all that area uh, previously was, it's gone through lots of iterations. Um, but where the mall is now, it used to be a, just a massive parking lot. Um, and then where Water Place Park is, that was all filled in. Um, and there was just tracks on tracks on tracks. And from the pictures I've seen, nothing very sightly. So, mm. you know, they, 
they they saw it forward thinking as the city planners were they they dug it all up they built up the mall it, it became an anchor uh for some retail in the area and then Waterplace park just became such a crown jewel downtown that's marvelous you're listening you're to listening. Travelwatch radio with dan schlossberg and mary ellen nugent lee we're on itunes blogtalkradio.com and facebook check out the archive show at your convenience and we're talking tonight about Providence, Rhode Island, with Greg Disrosiers. Speaking of trains, Greg, how easy is it to hop a commuter train to Boston? Do a bunch of Providence area residents work in Boston or even go up for occasional games at Fenway Park? So it's uh, pretty quick getting up there by train. Um, it's the same as if you were to drive if you avoided all the traffic, uh, but it's about an hour hour train ride uh, from Providence up to Boston. Uh, and there's also Amtrak service, uh, both up north on the Northeast Regional and also down south of D.C. And the Acela High Speed also can get you from here to there. Um, recently, I've been going down to New York um, for business trips, and it's, you know, a, a great seamless three-hour ride uh, driving any day of the week. And it's just – it's mm-hmm. very – very accessible by, by either train. For those who stay in Providence proper, they can enjoy architecture dating back to the 19th century's federal and Victorian styles. Are those mostly mercantile buildings or housing units too, including B&Bs and student residences? So there's a good mix. Um, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of that is found on the east side, uh, as well as Brown's sprawling campus is on the east side. So there are some utilizations of um, some residencies there. And there's also some buildings that are still little shops. And some people lucked out and have these magnificent Victorian homes. Um, Mm. But it's it's such a great time to just walk down Benefit Street uh, with still cobblestone sidewalks to to really see, you know, you really kind of go back in time because not much has changed uh, with the styles. Uh, so it, it's just like getting a glimpse into history there. Oh, and Providence has plenty of hotels and restaurants, plus a wide variety of nightlife, right, Greg? Is it true Providence <laughs> has the highest number of restaurants per capita in the country and also the most coffee and donut shops per capita? Probably because of Johnson & Wales grads who stayed in town. Is there anything that stands out in your mind because it's different than anything you've seen in your travels? So I think we have a, a little, little harder, a little easier time beating those per capita rates with such our our small little city here. But yeah, <laughs> it's it's great to to get something other than maybe just a Dunkin' Donuts coffee. But we have plenty of good. Uh, um, you know, crafty coffee shop as well. But the the, the footprint of Johnson & Wales is definitely uh, a big, noticeable um, piece of it because a lot do stay in town or they'll even go away um, to sort of start their journey professionally. But then they, they come back home and, and they set up shop with an actual restaurant that they open themselves and run themselves. So there's really a lot of different styles throughout the city. So it's Fantastic because whenever you're just out on the town and you don't necessarily know what you want for dinner or even after dinner drinks, there are a plethora of options for dining and even, you know, that nightlife. There's uh, a big boom in, in cocktail bars and even a few speakeasies now. 
So it, mm. it's definitely catering to, to all styles. A little biased, but I think there's no match to, to the dining scene here. <laughs> uh, and we hear Westminster Arcade is the oldest enclosed shopping mall in the country. Is that accurate? Yes. Um, the arcade was built in 1828, uh, featuring Ooh. two levels of shops. And today there's uh, a little fewer shops, um, but the first floor is still um, featuring some, some specialty shops, uh, a few restaurants. And then the second floor has actually been made out to micro lofts. So there's about mm-hmm. 40 up there, so they're super tiny. But it's still a really unique space to, to live in because you can still say that you're in a piece of history. And those are actually on, on pace to sell out uh, completely. I think I just saw by, by the summer at least. Oh, wow. We also like to know about the Fox Point hurricane barrier. Since the Weather Channel sometimes shows footage of Providence flooding from the unpredicted and unnamed hurricane of 1938. Yes, after, um, you know, a few different storms bringing upwards of 8 to 13 feet of water downtown, uh, the city saw sought to prevent that from happening some more. So uh, in 1966, construction was finished on the barrier, and it was at the time the first of its kind to be constructed in such a way with different gates at different levels to block off the rivers, the roadways, um, and just – really enclosing the city and protecting it from those big storm surges. So now um, those gates will close every once in a while when there's a threat of a storm. And luckily we haven't had the flooding as we did in 1938 when we still have marks throughout the downtown of buildings where that high water line was. And it's mm-hmm. amazing to see how, how high 13 feet of water <laughs> really is. Mm-hmm. I'll bet. We're talking tonight about Providence, Rhode Island, with Greg DeRochers. Greg, when the weather is benign, as it usually is, nothing beats a stroll on the Providence Riverwalk. What is it? How long is it? And where does it go? The Riverwalk extends um, from Water Place Park all the way down to the harbor for about a little over two miles, and it just follows the Providence River all the way down. And it's a great place to just take a leisurely stroll, lots of restaurants and shops, to just hop into uh, steps away. And you can always keep your eye out for gondolas floating down the river as well. Mm. Greg, I was a big fan of the TV show Providence with Melina Kanakaridis and also Mike Farrell as your dad and veterinarian. It ran on CBS for four years and really showcased the city, didn't it? You know, it did. Um, It was honestly a little before my time. I did know of it, but I was not old enough, I think, to watch it. <laughs> but it was great at highlighting the city uh, from what I've seen in clips. And, you know, Providence has kind of made itself home to lots of filming. Uh, the Farley brothers are native to Rhode Island, so lots of filming for Dumb and Dumber. There's something about Mary. And most recently, the Hocus Pocus 2 sequel uh, just wrapped up filming in Providence as well. And your Industrial National Bank building, the tallest building in Rhode Island, also brings an old TV show to mind. It's called the Superman Building because its exterior looks like the Daily Planet building from the old 50s TV show, doesn't it? 
Yeah, that's that's a you know, personal favorite of mine for the skyline. Uh, it, it's just it's so iconic, and we're looking forward to it being rehabilitated soon. Hopefully, uh, to to be back in action. I'm also a huge fan of water fire. Please tell our listeners what that is, how big it is, and how they can see it. it that's really our hallmark event each year. Uh, it's it's a real multisensory art installation that. You know, draws in thousands of visitors each year downtown, and it's just a bunch of bonfires just going right down the river, and it combines that smell of the wood smoke, the flickering of the firelight, and you hear the crackling, and then there's also music in the background just really bringing the whole night together, and it's an incredible time, uh, typically between May and November, and we'll actually be announcing our 2022 season uh, later this month on the 27th. We're talking tonight about Providence, Rhode Island, with Greg DeStrosiers. Greg, at Travelers Radio, we love peace and quiet, especially in an urban setting. So please tell us about your 1,200-acre park system, and especially Terrace Park with the downtown views and Roger Williams statue. Prospect Terrace Park uh, was founded in 1869, and it offers some of the best views of the downtown skyline. And part of it is the 15-foot granite statue of Roger Williams that commemorates his founding as he overlooks the city, and his remains actually lie directly beneath the statue in a tomb. Oh, do they? Wow. And we know there's also a Roger Williams Park with a zoo, natural history museum, and planetarium. And that guy really got around. And I understand in the State House there's a self-supporting marble dome. How is that related to Roger Williams? And we hear that the only larger one on the planet is in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Yes. Uh, so Roger Williams Park is uh, 427-acre park, very large, um, and it's celebrating its 150th anniversary this year. Uh, it was actually gifted by William, Roger Williams' descendant, uh, Betsy Williams, before she died. Um, in 1872 so very mm-hmm. grateful for that gift and yes the state house has a magnificent dome um it's debatable of how it ranks um some say second some say fourth regardless it is a massive dome and atop it is the independent man which is another 500 pound uh statue made of gold covered bronze that overlooks the city and uh it's just a, you know masterpiece of a building i think that's amazing. Now, you were also talking a little earlier about Water Place Park, and that sounds so cool, a cobblestone and concrete park below street traffic that abuts the three rivers that run through town. It sounds like such a good place to relax and contemplate. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, it comes alive during those water fire nights, but uh, on a nice spring or summer day, it's a great place to grab an open bench and just kind of sit around. Or there's sometimes performances throughout, um, and you can always uh, hop onto a kayak or even one of those gondolas and sort of see the city from from below street level and really get a sense of of really where you are. Mm. Okay. Our time is running out, so I just want to mention that Providence uh, actually is very close to Foxborough, Massachusetts, halfway between Providence and Boston, and that is the home of the New England Patriots. So you have major league sports. You have a lot of other sports, especially college sports in Providence. But I want to ask, how do Travel Itch Radio listeners learn more about Providence? 
Sure. They can go to goprovidence.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at, at goprovidence. Our special guest tonight has been Greg DeSrociers of the Providence, Rhode Island Convention and Visitors Bureau. Thank you, Greg, for being our guest tonight. Thank you. And with baseball season starting today, there's no time like the present to curl up with a good book on the good old days when the only strikes occurred between the white lines. So check out my book, The New Baseball Bible, Notes, Nuggets, Lists, and Legends from a National Pastime, 480 pages for less than a saw buck. It's both a coffee table book and a bathroom book. Read it backwards and still enjoy it. That's <laughs> The New Baseball Bible with Mike Trout on the cover. Get it tonight on Amazon.com. And that's it for this edition of Travel Witch Radio. Next week, same time, same station, same writer, same announcers. Our guest will be Aaron Chafee, Vice President of Hosteling International USA. Now, this is Dan Schlossberg, along with my beautiful and talented co-host, Mary Ellen Nugent-Lee, saying thank you for your time this time. Until next time, good night and stay safe.